First Corinthians chapter 14. Thank you for that. It's always a challenge and encouragement to me and hopefully to those people around you as well. First Corinthians chapter 14. Last week we took a look at the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and if you remember, we talked about what love says, the words that love speaks, and we're going to add to that just a little bit tonight. But uh, I need to give you some information about myself, as I usually do, and I usually incriminate myself um, when I do this, but uh, there has been one thing that has consistently gotten me into trouble. I spend my mouth. <laughs> One time, I remember very vividly, it got me thrown over two to three rows of folding chairs, and I unfolded them, <laughs> and basically stacked them underneath me as I was flying through the air. Um, actually, it was my now brother-in-law who threw me, and uh, it was quite the interesting ordeal. Um, it got me most of my demerits in school. Um, typically, I would get a demerit that was said something to the effect of talking in class without permission. That's usually how it ended up. And uh, there was one thing that I could do with my mouth uh, that I thought was really good. I could cut other people down and make myself look better. I thought I was pretty good at that. In fact, often I would do it to my, my teachers. Not necessarily, in my mind, I wasn't thinking that's what I'm doing. But while they're teaching, while they're trying to get a point across, I'm saying something and doing something that is um, <laughs> definitely not what they wanted me to do. And so I was making myself look better and having a little bit of fun doing it. And again, of course, I didn't view it like that. Uh, I just simply viewed it as a poking fun or just trying to make a funny statement or something like that or trying to be cool. That was usually what it ended up being, but that toss over the couple of rows of chairs really kind of woke me up to the fact that I had something wrong with me, because I never intended it to ever get that far, and uh, my, my brother-in-law and I have obviously apologized since then, and I, t I asked him for forgiveness for what I said, but all of my young life, I wanted people to like me, and it was usually my mouth that tried to get people to like me. I wanted to be funny. I wanted to be, uh, I was ver on the verge of the class clown. Um, I just, that's, that's who I wanted to be because that's how I felt accepted. And uh, I also wanted people to know how amazing I was. I mean, seriously, like, why wouldn't I be amazing? And so there were a lot of times that I would tell them how amazing I was. I would tell them how wonderful I was. And yes, I'm an egotistical maniac. I understand, all right? Thank you for already filling in that blank. And honestly, you make it sound a little bit worse than it actually was, but that's the reality of the situation. My mind got me into, or excuse me, my mouth got me into all kinds of trouble. And it usually ended up in the form of pride. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. I read that verse as a young man and began to think, whoa, I have some problems. I have some problems. I want people to see me and know me and look at me and, and all of these different things. And I began to realize the more I toot my own horn, the worse I actually am. And I remember hearing other people do the exact same thing that I was doing. And you know what? It would drive me nuts. 
drive me insane. I'm like, who does that guy think he is? That's the exact same way people thought about me. Every single one of us, I believe, wants to defend ourselves, wants to uphold ourselves. We want to look good in front of other people. We don't want somebody to know uh, that we are dirt, bad, dirty, or any of the thing, other things. It's natural for us to want to make ourselves look better than we are. But this natural thing can end up hurting the church. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 13 and 14, and really the entire chapter, the entire book is written to the church at Corinth. The setting is the church, and Paul is trying to change some things about the church. If you've done any study in the book of 1 Corinthians, you understand that the book of 1 Corinthians is the chapter in which we talk much about tongues. Paul spends a great deal of time talking about the gift of tongues. And again, we don't believe that tongues is a gift that is used the way the mainstream religion sets it up as. I've seen videos of, of people speaking in tongues and it will literally make you want to vomit because of the, the chaos that ensues because of it. But that's what I want to approach tonight. I want to approach that style of the, quote, gift of speaking in tongues. Now, I believe that the tongue can be used for good. And it can be something that edifies the church. And I wanted to give testimonies tonight to prove that to you. Every one of you that stood up and gave a testimony, you stood up and you testified of the goodness of God and you edified the church. That's what you were doing. So the tongue can be used to edify, but there are times when the tongue becomes selfish. The overall tone of this chapter is that the Corinthians were using their tongue to benefit themselves. And Paul is challenging that standard. Paul is challenging that and helping us to see a better use of our tongue. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we finish verse 5. Let's jump at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, watch this now, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So, likewise, ye, except ye utter by the tongue, words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signif signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Do you see the discord that's sown? And this guy doesn't even understand what I'm saying. He's a barbarian. And the guy sitting there not understanding, he says, what's that guy saying? He's a barbarian. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Don't just try to edify the church. Seek to excel the edifying, go above and beyond the edifying of the church. Verse 13, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, 
but my understanding is unfruitful. Let's have a word of prayer before we jump into this. Father, thank you so much for this day and for all that you've done for us so far. Thank you for the wonderful testimonies that people have given, the encouragement that it's been to me. But Father, I pray that today we would have a look at our tongue again and see if we're using it selfishly or if we're using it for your purpose. Father, I pray that you would continue to convict us, continue to help us move forward, continue to help us with our tongue, continue to help us in our relationship with you. We love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. A selfish tongue, that's the title of tonight's message, The Selfishness of the Tongue. This chapter, again, talking about the gift of tongues. Most of us think the gift of tongues is something where people babble on and on, but I believe the gift of tongues was from the Holy Spirit. It was a real thing where in people could not did not have to learn a new language, but they were given the language by God and they were able to speak in that unknown language quickly and easily to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers, and you'll see that a little further on. But it seems as if the Corinthian church are now using this, quote, gift for selfish reasons, to make themselves look better in the church to give themselves a little bit of an edge. And so I want to show you two things this evening that come from a selfish tongue. Two things this evening that come from a selfish tongue, and number one is found in our first set of verses, an uncertain sound. An uncertain sound. Sound plays an incredibly important part in our sense of hearing. Let me say that again. Sound plays an incredibly important part in our sense of hearing. If there is no sound, there is no hearing, right? Are you all with me? (laughs) Oh boy. Sounds that we hear will cause us to react a certain way. For instance, if you're in your closet digging out some clothes and your husband, I've done this many times, comes up behind you and shouts or scares you a little bit, what do you do? You jump. You maybe even get your fists up and you get ready to fight. And so these, that sound created a reaction in you. Likewise, a very soft, soothing sound might put you to sleep. Sounds are an incredible thing, an incredible thing that puts your body into some sort of action. In the old days, there was a trumpet that made certain sounds to inform people of what is going on. There was a sound for the start of battle. There was a sound for the charge. There was a sound for the retreat. There was a sound for an enemy sighting. There was a sound for death. All of these sounds could be played from, listen, the same trumpet. All of these sounds could be played from the same trumpet, yet that same trumpet would give off those different sounds for different things. And that's what we see here in this passage. The Bible says in verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now, picture yourself on the wall of Jerusalem and you're overlooking the city, you're overlooking beyond the city and you're, you're looking out for enemy soldiers coming in. All of a sudden, on the horizon, you see a wave of black. 
Every once in a while from the glistening sun, you see their armor glistening from the sun, and you realize that you have to blow the trumpet because you have spotted the enemy. What sound are you going to give? Are you going to give the sound to get ready for battle, or are you going to give the sound for retreat? Listen, you can mess that up pretty easily. But if it's, it's, it's important that you give the right sound. Let me ask this question. What if the trumpeter gave a sound that you have never heard before? You'd go, what in the world was that? What am I supposed to do? You'd be maybe sitting at your dinner table and all of a sudden you hear the sound to get ready for battle. Up you get, grab your sword, grab your spear, grab your shield, and out the door you go. Because you're so used to that sound, you know it, it's time. But you hear a sound and you don't know what to do. You hear an uncertain sound, you would be confused by the sound. Paul says in verse 9, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue, Words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? Paul says we need to speak words that are easily understood. I want you to think about this. Have you ever been in a position where someone is telling you something, but you're not sure what they mean? Anybody else ever been there, or is that just me? They've been telling me, maybe they're giving you directions, and you think, well, I'm not really sure, and you... They just, you go down here and you turn left and then you turn right and then you turn left and then right and then left and then keep going straight and then left. You're like, whoa. I have no idea what you're talking about. Slow down. Listen to me. When we are selfish and we use our words selfishly, guess what we do? We give an uncertain sound. We give an uncertain sound. It's like, ah, oh, I'm just not really sure what that means. One time it will be one thing, and another time they will be saying another. I can think of two examples of this in my own personal life. The first one is this. When I was in college, I had a dorm supervisor that you never know how you would be in trouble based upon his mood. You wouldn't know. So you'd have to figure out his mood for that day and then figure out if you were going to be in trouble or not. I, I couldn't stand it anymore. Finally, I, walked, I pulled him aside and I said, hey, you're killing me. Listen, it's against the rules to have uh, clothes on the floor at all. It was against the rules you would get demerits for it. Well, I could leave him there one day, and the next day, and I wouldn't get a demerit. The next day, I'd have a demerit for him. And I said, just tell me what you want from me. I don't know what you want. I, you know, there are times where I just am lazy and just want to leave them there, but I can't keep doing this flip-flop thing. If I'm supposed to put them away and you're going to enforce that rule, then I'll do it. That's, that's no problem. I just need to know where I stand. There was an uncertain sound in him. And I don't remember really ever getting any better. I don't really remember it staying the same. I just remember having that conversation with him. Now, there are other times as well where my kids growing up, no phones, right? You're not going to touch my phone. We don't want you to be addicted to them. We don't want you to have anything to really do with them. There's a lot of good on here, but there's also a lot of bad. We don't want you to get involved. And so I'm really vigilant in that, and I'm really trying to make sure that they stay away from those things. The very next day, I'm tired. And my kids are like, Daddy, play. Daddy, come on. Let's, let's do something. Let's play. Get up off the couch and quit being a lazy bum. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
here, take my phone and let it be the babysitter for the day. Now, do you picture an uncertain sound there? Because one day I'm selfish and I don't want my, or I'm I'm not really selfish, I'm actually wanting to do what's right for my kids, but the next day I'm selfish. I don't want to get up. I'm lazy. Here, I do the exact opposite thing that I instructed my children not to do the first time. To the child, they're thinking, what am I supposed to do? It's like two parents who don't agree. Don't do that, go ahead and do that. It's an uncertain sound. What do I do? Now listen, when it comes to our tongue and when it comes to the church, there are many times that what we say is very inconsistent. Listen to me, there are many times where what we say are very inconsistent. We say one thing when it benefits us, and we say another thing when it benefits us the other way. I've been and seen this many times. I've seen people say one thing to benefit them and then come across another way and say it to benefit them. Again, Paul says there are so many kinds of voices in the world. That, yeah, all of, them have, or all of them are significant. But we need to know what it is that you want us to do. We need to know what it is that you're trying to say. So what's the best way to avoid this? Speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. The very best way to avoid these situations of selfishness and saying one thing and then saying another the other time because we are selfish and we want to fulfill what we want to fulfill. The best way to avoid this is simply speak the truth in love. Paul says it this way in verse 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Basically, is what you're about to say going to edify yourself or is it going to edify the church? Is it going to edify yourself or is it going to edify the church? When we speak selfishly, this is what we do, we give an uncertain sound. I'm just not sure about that. Just not sure that I should do that. What does that mean? It creates this confusing problem. And what happens when we give an uncertain sound? Well, number two, we give a lot of misunderstanding. Number two is misunderstanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look with me in verse 15. The Bible says this, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of, an, of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving thanks? Seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. You're giving thanks, but the other is not edified. Often we can speak these great swelling words of man's wisdom. But people don't understand them. We, in, in speech class, we always learned the KISS method. Some of you might remember this. KISS is keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Right? Stupid being the person who is writing the speech. 
So we got to keep it simple. Why? Because we want to create such great swelling words and make ourselves look like we know it all and all of these different things that we do to make ourselves look good. Just keep it simple. Keep it, keep it on the bottom shelf, so to speak. Now, that doesn't mean we never dig deep into the Word of God and we never try to figure things out and we never try to study hard. No, no, no. You try to take those ideas and those things and you bring them down so that everyone can understand it. So not only do we cause confusion and people just don't do anything, guess what? We cause a misunderstanding and actually get the opposite effect of what we intended. When we don't speak words properly, when we begin to think selfishly, we give not only a confusing things where people just don't do anything. We make them misunderstand to which they're doing the opposite of what we intended. So for instance, the trumpeter sounds the battle cry but makes a few notes mistake and instead of sounding the battle cry to go out and charge against the enemy, he sounds the retreat. It's uncertain. It's misunderstood. Instead of edifying, we cut down. Instead of edifying the church, we edify ourselves. The example here is given of someone who is trying to bless and give thanks. But it's done in such a way that it doesn't encourage, it discourages. You may have done a good job at giving thanks, but the other person is not encouraged. That's the whole point of giving thanks. That's the whole point of testifying of what Jesus Christ has done so people can be encouraged. Look at verse 19 with me. Paul says, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Albeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Paul very simply says, listen, it is better to speak five words, only five, that people can understand, than 10,000 that people can't. It would be far better for you to hear five words that you can understand than to hear 10,000 words that you don't understand. Now listen, in our selfishness, and when we talk the way that we want to talk and we build ourselves up, when we speak in a way that promotes ourselves, guess what we do? We give people a misunderstanding. We give people a misunderstanding. Here's why. Because we are not promoting God, we are promoting ourselves. Let me ask this question. What's our job on earth? Don't say the Great Commission either because that's only a part of it. What's our job on earth? To glorify God. To glorify God. Not to glorify ourselves, not to puff ourselves up, not to make ourselves look better, but simply to glorify God in everything that we do. When we are not promoting God and we are promoting ourselves, guess what that does? That confuses people. I want you to think about a a new believer coming in. And we have our Christianese and our church lingo that we talk and they come in and they hear us talking those things and sure they may not understand some of the things we do and that's okay. There's some things that maybe we need to work on in that area but we begin talking and all these things and as they begin to sit and listen, they hear us, maybe they hear you talk about yourself and how wonderful of a Christian you are. 
Or maybe they hear you talk about the pastor and say how horrible or how wonderful the pastor is. You, you choose. And all your focus is on a person. Hear me. This is important. We are confusing them. We are giving them a misunderstanding. And if we are this way and they stick it out, we have taught them to praise and glorify a man instead of praising and glorifying God to which they should be praising and glorifying. Listen, I'm only 32 years old and I have seen this more times than I care to admit. I have seen things happen in churches like a rock concert when a when a band comes out and people are just fawning all over them and hooting and hollering for that person. Listen, I've seen that in a church. It is disturbing and it's confusing. I remember, I remember as a teenager thinking, who are we here for? I thought we were here to hear from God, not, not to praise and glorify these men. Listen, that scares me. I don't ever want that to be this church. I don't ever want it to be Bible Baptist Church. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, don't promote yourself. So instead of us thanking God and teaching others to thank God and focus on God, we are in reality thanking ourselves for how wonderful a job that we have done. We are focusing everything on ourselves. Can you see how this causes a misunderstanding? Can you see how this points people not, not to God? Again, I've had this happen as well. Pastors, and this is just personal to me, pastors talk about methods and practices as to how they have built their church. And listen, I'm not trying to knock those things, but listen, the Bible says that we don't build the church, God builds the church. And so I want to stand in front of you today and say, listen, if Bible Baptist Church grows, it is nothing that Pastor Yeomans, Pastor Holland, Pastor Levi, or even Darlene does. It's not. It's only by the grace of God. Sure, there are principles and practices that we will try to implement and try to move forward, but it is only because of the grace of God that his church is being built. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. I want to be honest with you, that confused me as a younger man. Because I thought I would, I would I'm an instruction follower, we've, we've discussed that. And so if you give me a book that says this is how you build a church, I'm going to follow that thing to the letter. Well, I did it all. Let's go. How come it's not working? That confuses me, and maybe that's not the intention that the author wrote it. I'm just telling you, that, that confused me. I've preached a message here about fruit and how if you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. And all my life I thought, and I thought that this was something that I am, uh, I'm going to bear much fruit because I want, I'm abiding in Christ, I'm working with Christ, and the fruit was always souls, Right? If you bear fruit, you're going to win souls to Christ. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but that's not all. I remember begging God, God, I'm trying to abide in you. Trying to understand what you want for my life. Trying to follow you. I'm trying to spend time with you. I'm trying to abide in you and in your love. And I'm not seeing many people saved. 
what am I doing wrong? Am I not vocal enough? And I began to ask these questions. And listen, should, could I do better in winning souls? Absolutely. But I remember being discouraged and confused because the fruit wasn't necessarily souls. Fruit was the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit was just an abundance outflowing of God in my life. That's it. Does that mean souls? Potentially. So often we can get so focused on one thing and looking at ourselves and say, look, look at how many people I won to Christ. Look at how many people, I, what I did for God this week. And we begin to promote ourselves instead of promoting God in us and through us. It causes confusion. All glory needs to go to God again. You might be asking the question, okay, I see the problem. How is this avoided? How do we avoid these problems? So look with me in verse 26. Verse 26, the Bible says this. Now this is going to get a bit confusing, but bear with me. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. Again, it's, it's about all. Not just, hey, I can prophesy, or hey, I can talk in tongues. It's about all people. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 33 is the important one. Obviously, all are important, but this is what I want to get at. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Listen, God is not the author of confusion. How are we going to avoid an uncertain sound and misunderstandings? Very simply, we get clarity from God. Clarity from God God is not the author of confusion. He is the author of clarity. He clears things up for us. He doesn't muddy the waters. He clears things up. When we use our tongue, it should be at the direction of God. It should be because God has called us to use our tongue. Now let me ask you this question. How much do we pray before we open our mouths? My mother asked me that one time when I was getting in a lot of trouble with my mouth. You know what my answer was? Goose egg. Not at all. In fact, I didn't even think before I spoke. How would it change our lives if we began to pray before we said something to someone? No, they have to know it now. I can't wait 15 minutes to pray. They have to know it now. Listen, if we would pray and ask God and, and, and allow God to lead and, and use our tongue for the edifying of the church, do you think it would change? I believe it would. Most of the people that I have run across that claim they speak in tongues have made mention to me when I said, oh, I don't, and they've made mention to me, hear this, quote, you're not spiritual enough. You're not spiritual enough. Now, does that edify and exhort? 
Not at all. And listen, it, it just might be that I'm not spiritual enough. But I don't, I don't want to know that I'm not spiritual enough. I want to know how I can become more spiritual. That's what, that's what your tongue ought to do. It ought to edify. It ought to exhort. It ought to build up. The only thing I ever get from that comment is, wow, that's pretty proud. And maybe that's a judgmental statement on my part. But I want you to understand this. Your words can help edify the church. Your words can help build up that person next to you. Your words can, directed by God, literally change the trajectory of someone's life. Every time I stand up here, listen, I, I'm confused by a lot of what goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But if I just got up here and said exactly what Paul said, I'm thinking a lot of you would be confused as well. So before I stand up to speak, a lot of prayer goes into this. Listen, I'm not sure this is entirely everything that was meant by 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but I believe it to be a part of it. I believe this is the portion God led me to give to you tonight. Listen, I don't ever want to get up here and waste anyone's time. I don't ever want to get up here and just talk. I want to get up and edify and build up and exhort and challenge to draw everyone closer to God. I just want to be God's spokesman. I don't ever want to be the spokesman of Johnny Yeomans. That never does anybody any good. Ask my wife. It doesn't. But when God is in it, you know it and I know it. And God moves in ways that we can never understand. Your words can help edify the church. The question is this, how are you going to use them? If we use them right, guess what? God will get the glory. God will get the glory. And if you use them wrong, you will selfishly get the glory. You'll be saying things like, I told them, and look what happened. When in reality, somebody say, hey, you said something to me, and that really helped me. Praise the Lord. The Lord allowed me to say that. Listen, walk with God. Pray before you open your mouth. Because so often, so often in church, we think we're trying to help someone. In reality, all we do is cut them down because we're doing it in our own flesh and we're trying to make ourselves look better and say, I told them. I told them. Now I get to wash my hands of this situation. Wrong attitude. Love speaks in a way that builds up and edifies. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity. I hope this has been a help. It's been a help to me. Father, I know that one of the biggest things that has ever gotten me into trouble is my mouth, and it continues to do so. Father, I pray that you would help me not only bite my tongue when I want to speak, but to pray and ask you, and not just Sundays or just Wednesdays, every moment of every day, to speak the words that you want me to speak that my tongue might be used for edifying and for building others up, for building the church and for glorifying you. 
for these that sit in front of me, I pray the same. That we might see a difference in the way the tongue is used in churches. Thank you for 1 Corinthians. Thank you for the example of the Corinthian church. I pray that we would give you all the honor and glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.